0: This is a special bonus episode and is part of our Premier League Countdown series currently on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast feed. There's an episode dedicated to every single Premier League club as we build up to the return of football. So check out the Ornstein and Chapman podcast or the Athletic app to hear other episodes from the series. Hi everyone, it's Adam Leventhal and uh, welcome to the Athletics Premier League Countdown Podcast. With the return of the 2019-20 season only days away now, we're releasing 20 podcasts on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. So that's two podcasts a day, every day, up until football returns. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. To enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as a season. Makes its long-awaited return. Now, in this episode, we're discussing West Ham. They sit 16th in the Premier League table. We can welcome the Athletics West Ham writer Roshane Thomas and his co-host on our dedicated Hammers podcast, U Irons, Sam Delaney. Gent's, great to have you on board. Just take us into the uh, the podcast if you can. Uh, what have we What have we been enjoying uh, during lockdown and uh, maybe prior to that? And what have we got to look forward to with with West Ham?
1: Well, we've taken the opportunity to spend a lot of time chatting to our heroes and to some legends of the club, talking over old times. And, you know, I'm I'm sure everyone's felt this, but I've actually welcomed the opportunity to immerse myself in a bit of nostalgia, especially like if you support West Ham and there hasn't been much to celebrate in recent years, it's fantastic to sort of press pause on all that stuff and get back to the days when, you know, there are some happy memories attached. We've spoken to the likes of Ian Bishop, Alvin Martin, John Monker, Tony Cotty. Marlon Harewood was fantastic about West Ham's run to the 2006 FA Cup final and his sort of vivid and quite moving memories of that sort of um, sad day, really. Uh, sad but happy day in our sort of recent history. Uh, Ian Bishop was really fascinating last week, talking about um, how his personal life was affected by rumours of a, of a homosexual relationship that he was um, alleged to have been having with Trevor Morley throughout his career at West Ham, unfounded rumours. But he, he spoke, you know, the, the sort of stuff that was sort of, you know, kind of, Teres Bante spoke really, you know, movingly about the effect it had on on his life and his career. Uh, so we've had a great time all round, really. He's spoken to some interesting people and um, look back on some great times, haven't we, Shane?
2: Yeah, and also a name you forgot to mention as well, Jimmy Walker. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean, he spoke about, you know, being number one, Warsaw uh, it was event, you know, having to come at West Ham and fight for his position with Stephen Bywater. So yeah, he was also a great guest, shared a lot of funny stories. So yeah, all in all, it's been, it's been really good, The guess we've been able to get on the UI's podcast.
0: Yeah, do check it out. Um, You can download it via the, uh, the athletic app and it's available in all uh, good podcast places as well. Um, I'll, I- I'll come to you on this in terms of where West Ham were pre-lockdown, just, just take us back to that moment? Because it's, I mean, it's, it's its looking dicey for the club at the moment, isn't it?
2: It was, but I mean, some fans would argue that, you know, the enforced break somewhat came at the wrong time for West Ham because, you know, blatantly the team was starting to make some sort of progress. I mean, well, the 3-1 win over Southampton, you know, one of the best performances at home this season. And, you know, David Moyes is starting to play 4-4-2, and Tony up front. And things are starting to look positive. I mean, I know there was the, um, the 3-2 defeat at Anfield, but again, even in that match, West Ham could have won, or even at least come away with a draw. So there were signs that the team was starting to make progress. Even just seeing people like Fornals come out of the show and play well. You know, Alaire who struggles at parts of the season, had him in a good partnership with Antonio, as I mentioned briefly. So yeah, so it, it feels like the break somewhat came at the wrong time for West Ham. So hopefully the team can sort of uh, rekindle that magic after the, uh, well, when it resumes uh, week on Saturday.
0: Well, Shane, I'm putting you down as a, as a glass half full sort of person, because I'm looking at the uh, the recent results. Defeated against Arsenal, <laughs> Liverpool, Man City. Okay, that could happen to anyone. Uh, there was another defeat against Liverpool, uh, Leicester, a draw against Everton and Brighton and a defeat against Sheffield United. <laughs> it's a really, really long run with only one win and you focused on that win and I, and I praise you for that. I think it's it's a good way to look at it. But yeah, I and, and you've looked more in depth as well and you watch West Ham all the time. So we will see how they react after, uh, after the lockdown. Um, Sam, so they're level on points with Bournemouth. Um, they occupy the final relegation spot. It's very,
1: very tight down there. How worried are the fans at the moment? I think anyone who's been following West Ham for a while is always worried. We're never not worried. (laughs) You know, I mean, we've seen fantastic West Ham teams packed full of international players go down in ways that almost defied all logic. So you can never relax. Um, Relegation is always a distinct possibility. However, you can usually get a sense of watching performances uh, as opposed to results of what your chances might be in the final running. And I think, you know, Roshane, I agree with him to a large extent that although the results don't suggest that we, we hit a run of form, there was a clear improvement in the sort of atmosphere surrounding the team, the way in which they played, the confidence with which they played um, over the last few weeks. And we were unlucky in a couple of games. We were unlucky as well with our fixtures that we were coming up against the likes of um, Arsenal and Liverpool. But we could sense that there was something, it maybe in the mindset of the players, that they'd suddenly found their feet, they'd found their confidence, they believed in what the manager was saying. Uh, if you look at the fixtures we've got ahead of us, There are enough in there, I think, uh, in the final few games for us to feel reasonably confident about getting together enough points to stay up. But of course, it's entirely dependent on what the other clubs around us do. Um, We've got some very losable games. Uh, I would say not least the, the first one up, which is against Wolves. And even though that's at home, that doesn't count for anything now. Wolves really hit a good run of form and I think are an excellent team. Then we've got Spurs, Chelsea. None of those games are easy. easy. But then after that, we've got a run of Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford. We've got Manchester United. uh, And then final day, we've got Villa. So we're playing a lot of teams who are around us. And I think that's what David Moyes is banking on. The thing that's unknowable is whether or not the players will be able to get back to the sort of small amount of momentum that they had built up in their performances just before lockdown. I mean, we don't know how any of these players for any clubs are going to respond and it'll be fascinating to see.
0: I mean, you mentioned about the fact that home games almost won't count for for anything because there aren't going to be any crowds there. I mean, mischievous fans of uh, other football clubs will say, well, the London Stadium isn't really going to change much when there isn't any fans in there, because the atmosphere has been pretty poor anyway. Um, just give us your your insight into that. Is that unfair? Because the crowds have been big, but sometimes the, the atmosphere has just simply been poisonous.
1: Well, it's one thing being poisonous, but even on the days when it's not poisonous, it can be a bit lacklustre. Apton Park was the same. You can go back years. People don't like to remember this, but I remember in the late 80s, when I was a lad, hearing people uh, sing for John Lyle to quit, Lyle out. Mm. Now, now he's held up as a legend. People forget about the past. People forget that there were quiet days at Upton Park. People forget that there was poisonous days at Upton Park where people were turned on the owners. We were different at the time, but still got just as much grief. Um, Managers, players. So it's always been like that. The real problem actually... Is that it's quite rare now that we have one of those extra special afternoons or evenings at West Ham where the crowd seemed to be able to lift the the team uh to perform above its above its usual um standard. And that was that happened on a fairly regular basis at Upton Park. However, bad things were one week. There was always an opportunity, especially when the big clubs came, to not only raise our own players' performance, but also genuinely intimidate the opposition. Even some of the best players in the world would come and they would be intimidated and we would pull off surprise results. That's something I haven't yet seen happen once at the London Stadium. And that's a shame. Um, And that was where West Ham's home advantage used to come into play sometimes in a relegation battle. Now, we don't have that. So lockdown or no lockdown shouldn't make too much of a difference.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's a a very, very, very good point. Um, Obviously, you know, West Ham are going to need to score goals. Uh, All the teams down at the bottom have uh, struggled over the course of the season to do that. I mean, in, in in your view with Sebastian Haller on, what, seven goals this season... I vividly remember two of those goals being scored against uh, Watford earlier on in the campaign when things were looking pretty good for West Ham, weren't they? I mean, just overall, is goal scoring the, the main problem, or is it other areas that you see as as the bigger issue?
2: I'll say maybe it mainly comes down to you know lack of goals, and considering Sebastian Allaire cost so much money, you know, we're thinking that yeah, maybe Sky has going to you know, score at least fifteen, twenty goals for West Ham this season, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out. I mean, just just watching uh, Allaire as I do every week. So my, my, my main frustration is like you. You're watching me. You think like you, you could do a bit more. I mean, I know you don't have much pace, but you could run around a bit more. You could chase after lost courses. I mean, you could cause defenders more problems. I just felt like, to a large degree, he's been quite static in uh, in
1: matches. He doesn't intimidate defenders much, does he? Given his size,
2: doesn't at all. And I remember, like, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's under Pellegrini or Moyes, but he's actually dropped. He was dropped for the Man City game, in fact, because it was like come on, you've got to do much better, the club's record signing and we're not seeing, you know, enough value out of you. And I feel like when he's up top by himself, it's just, just don't do it, like it's not going to work. But when he plays alongside Antonio, we see signs of, you know, Elé coming like coming out of his shell. I mean, he's great in terms of like winning flick-ons, he's got strength and he doesn't have much pace. But when you have someone to play alongside him, we see the best out of Elé. But when he plays up top by himself, it just doesn't work.
0: Are you expecting more from from Jared Bowen as well in the in this final run in? And I suppose that the lockdown will have given him more of an opportunity to. I know it's been an unsettling period, but settle mentally that he is, you know, a West Ham player, and maybe he can now kick on and and, and make a big difference for David Moyes.
2: You know what I like? I like Jared Bowen a lot, and I mean, in the, in the game against Southampton, where he made his full debut, his work rate was amazing that day. I mean, he ran after everything. <laughs> I mean, everything, and he also scored in that match, and also he's taken um. Uh, Robert Snodgrass placing in the team and he's had a great season a lot of fans feel like you know in some ways he's been our hammer of the year so I just looking at the fixtures um, our second to last game was against Man United and that sort of uh, mirrors the um, 06 or 07 season where Carlos Tevez was the hero now I'm not saying Boren's going to save the day but if you're thinking of someone who could offer the team something a bit different do something a bit unusual then I can't see why uh, Boren can't be that guy
1: I think he's going to be our... I've got hopes that he's going to be our key player because he came into that team and I think that our our um our improved form coincided with his arrival at the club and it wasn't a coincidence because I think he was a young player with a huge amount of confidence because he'd been doing so well in the Championship and he plays with an effervescence about him. And I think that that being introduced to the squad not just on match day, but probably in training too, has made a a difference to them because he he might have raised the bar a little bit. The way he plays is that he's positive. Every time he gets the ball, he wants to run at defenders. He wants to shoot. He looks confident he's going to score. And I think that that's probably had an impact on the rest of the team. And I think that with that mental attitude, he's um, well-placed to bounce back from this lockdown period and um and also you know take a few Premier League defenders by surprise because a lot of them will be unfamiliar with him. So I think you're right. I think he could be this year's Carlos Tevez, and I, I'm banking a lot on him.
0: You don't want it to go down to the penultimate <laughs> game of the season, though, do you? You want to be
1: well safe by then. I'm going to expect it to go to the final day of the season. Um, oh, okay, I think it will because I think it's close down there. And I think, you know, that's a cliche nature of the Premier Leagues. I think all of those teams around us are capable, right down to Norwich City, capable of pulling off surprise results um, a- along the way between now and the end of the season. And also we've got the fact that the, these these games will be squished together in such quick succession, which will probably lead to more unexpected re- results. Uh, I think that it will go to the wire, Um Uh, But I think that West Ham certainly have the play and stuff. I've seen West Ham go down before in the past where I just thought, well, our squad's just not good enough. It is clearly self-evidently one of the worst teams in the Premier League and we haven't got enough to stay up. This squad certainly has enough to stay up. It's a matter of whether David Moyes can get them all in shape um, and and, uh, capable of doing it as a team. It, yeah, but we, we've got we have got the ability. We've got so many great creative attacking players in that team that we should be able to do this.
0: You mentioned David Moyes there. I mean, what's your what's your feeling towards him? the The general feeling from the fans towards him, and even if things you know don't go to plan, will he stay? If you do stay up, is he the man to to build
1: a brighter future? My feeling towards him is one of indifference uh i think probably that uh, there's a, there's a few other fans who share that with me i've got nothing against david moy some people really didn't like him the first time he was there they thought that the football that we played was very you know boring and practical and all those other things that West Ham fans moan about um i like the idea of a hard working manager who might be given uh, a long time to build his own sort of uh brand around the club, which is something we haven't really allowed anyone to do since maybe Allardyce. Um, So I like the idea of that. But, you know, I don't trust the board to have any long-term strategy. You know, they they just don't operate that way. They are whimsical. They, you know, they wake up and make decisions each morning, depending on the mood they're in, as far as I can establish from their 10 years in charge. Um, You know, I've heard from people close to the board that, you know, I I heard someone quote uh, a friend of one of of the uh, people who run the club, quote them as saying, well, the reason we got David back is that we know that we can get rid of him again cheaply. So it's not too much of a gamble. So whether we stay up or go down, I think it will come down to the whim of the three people who run the club, how they feel the day after the season ends. And also, crucially... And this is what happened to Moyes before. Who else is available? They might have kept David Moyes on last time, but they it, it came to your attention that Pellegrini was available and their head was turned by that because it felt like a sexy appointment to hire a manager who had once managed Real Madrid, right? So the same thing will happen again. If an agent of a more attractive sounding manager rings up David Sullivan the day after David Moyes keeps us up, David Moyes will be out. It's an incredibly difficult
0: situation, Roshane. I mean, you've covered some of the the fans' protests against the board. I I mean, are we getting into sort of Newcastle and Mike Ashley territory here, that this is a relationship that is never, ever going to work? You know, there's such animosity there. Do do you see there any... Is there any way of the the board building bridges with the fans over over coming seasons and, and faith being restored? Or... Is, you know, the things that Sam is saying, that other fans are saying, is is it just a minority or is this a majority view from West Ham fans? I mean,
2: Adam, we could do an hour-long special on why fans are frustrated with the board. Um, <laughs>
0: I've got loads of time on my hands. So, yeah, go for, go I mean, for your Yeah,
2: I, I agree with Sam. It's a majority, to be honest, because um, you know, whether it's the move to, to the London Stadium, whether it's Karen Brady's column, uh, the club not bringing in the right personnel to transfer market, they're not being like a director of football. I mean, there's just so many things why West Ham fans are so frustrated. And just touching on the protests, I mean, from my experience, of thought a lot of West Ham fans, it hasn't affected the players at all. I mean, the one against Southampton, the team won. The one prior to the game against Everton, the team won. The only protest where the team haven't won is the Black Balloon protest before the Liverpool match. But still, the team played so well. So I don't I don't see uh, this sort of resentment going anytime soon. As I mentioned, the fans are just really frustrated. And... We had um, Andy from Hamish United on the UAN's podcast a few weeks ago. And even he, he said, when well, everything's calmed down, they're still going to protest. So it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon.
1: To be fair to, to him and the people behind this latest protest, though, is that they've, you know, in the in the past, and I'm talking about last season, there were protests that really were to the detriment of the team and to some fans, actually, because it got a bit nasty. There was splinter groups that got a little bit aggro with each other. There was booing during the game. We all remember a couple of years ago we had a fan running onto the pitch, and there was an altercation with Mark Noble. I mean, it was really messy. That the the current incarnation of the protest is being managed and publicised extremely well, and crucially, they keep it outside the ground before the game, and they don't do stuff it during the game. They commit to get behind the team. So, uh, and and people have observed that quite well. And I think that's why, as Roshane says, it hasn't affected an performances. And just, just one final question.
0: And, and this is one that applies to a lot of teams at the bottom of the division. West Ham, obviously, w- with Karen Brady, have had someone very vocal um, in not wanting the season to continue. And she was one of the first to come out and say that. Other clubs have, have had it maybe a little bit later towards the, the decision time. Do you think that when you've got someone so publicly saying that we probably think that the season should be scrapped because it is down to self interest, and every, a lot of people have, have admitted that, that it can have an impact on the players when they get back out there? Or do you think, you know, considering what you've said about the protests, that there is very much a, a bubble around the team and they will be able to? not be affected mentally by thinking, hang on a minute, we could have really done with this season being called off. Sam or, or Roshane, who, who wants to take that one on?
1: <laughs> I, I tell you what, I think that it was uh, just another, uh, you know, embarrassing, um, uh, uh, just an embarrassing outburst by one of the people who runs our club. Karen Brady, like David Sullivan never fails to find new and imaginative ways to humiliate us Um It just looks pathetic and self-serving. And crucially, I think it does send a bad message to the players because whilst David Moyes is trying to say, lads, we're good enough, we're going to do this, stay focused. We've got the quality, you're great, lads, we're going to do it. You've got the owner of the club, not for the first time, and I doubt for the last, undermining that message by you know, more indirectly saying, listen, we haven't got much faith in this team staying up. So what we'll try and do is find other avenues to um avoid relegation. It's it's pathetic and embarrassing. And funnily enough, West Ham fans and, and you know, West Ham as a club have got nothing but disdain for Sheffield United because of the way that they tried to use law courts and, and kind of loopholes to uh, you know, get out of a relegation that befell them fair and square um back in two thousand and seven. Well, now we're basically trying to do the same thing,
2: and, and Adam, very quickly, it all comes back to Karen Brady's column. I mean, and I don't know the exact quote, but I remember like when Robert Snodgrass went along to Aston Villa, she pretty much said like he's not good enough like to be a West Ham player. <laughs> I hear you laughing, Sam. He's not good enough to be a West Ham player, and I mean, pretty much the words come back to haunt because now Snodgrass is one of West Ham's most important players.
1: The truth is, the truth is, just briefly, the only way that these owners would have a hope of um surviving uh, uh you know and and you know the fans being happy with them still being associated with the club is if they appointed a new chief executive a new board and they step back as owners that is what they have to do if they if they are unwilling or unable to sell the club that's their only option
0: gents it has been fascinating to uh, experience a glass half full and a glass half empty (laughs) um, at times from you Sam but no it's been really really fascinating to to get your views on uh, West Ham of of old uh, of current and and maybe of the future as well so thanks very much for coming on it's a pleasure thanks Adam
2: thanks Adam
0: no problem guys Uh, if uh, you aren't already subscribing to The Athletic make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy all of Roshane's writing on West Ham plus much much more Uh, you can currently take advantage of a 30 day free trial if you want to try it out before committing to a full subscription and with that you'll enjoy all the best football writing as the Premier League returns and make sure uh, that you do download the Athletic's dedicated West Ham podcast U-Irons Roshane and Sam on great form each and every week so uh, do make sure that you uh, catch up with some of those previous episodes and uh, look forward to the narrative as the (laughs) the relegation scrap maybe goes down to the final day if our nerves can manage it Uh, keep an eye on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League Countdown podcasts each one dedicated to a different team and not many to go now we'll be back soon for the next one